Hey, I'm Raji Sohal. Welcome to the podcast. Should drinking in parks in Vancouver be made permanently legal? One ABC candidate thinks so. And also, after a recent study on the effects of alcohol, we check in with a non-alcohol beverage retailer about her thoughts on the latest studies. But first, with eyes on the delayed NASA rocket launch of Artemis, we ask an astrophysicist the question, who owns the moon? Well, NASA has had to postpone the launch of Artemis for the second time in a week, and that launch was supposed to include some Canadian experiments on board. Anyway, we are still fixated on returning to the moon, which raises the question of uh, who owns the moon and maybe even who owns Mars and the other planets. For more, we're joined by Dr. Aaron Boley. He's a physician and astronomy prof at UBC. Hi, Aaron. Hi, thanks for having me. All right. With China and uh, Russia invested in space travel, many other countries too, it raises the question of who owns parts of space. That's right. So what we're seeing is a return to the moon and a desire to really expand uh, exploration, particularly human exploration in space. And with that brings in several tough questions on governance, not just the the technical aspects on how to move forward from an engineering point of view or what type of science you'll be able to do, but the governance models moving forward. And above all, we want to avoid conflict in space. uh, And we have to reconcile that outer space, including the moon and other celestial bodies, are right now internationally accepted as uh, areas beyond national jurisdiction. And so the current body of uh, law applied to space uh, says that no one can appropriate. Um, There can be no national appropriation of, say, the moon um, or orbits or uh, really anything uh, dealing with space. And so what that means is that no one can make a claim of sovereignty. No one can use something so much that it prevents other people from using it. You can't just occupy a place on the moon and prevent other people from, say, occupying that place on the moon. And so there are some real um, issues of how we can develop uh, a sustained lunar program uh, and reconcile it with the current international law. So fascinating. Such interesting questions, because here on Earth, we have certain rules around sovereignty and not being able to occupy certain places. And then we go and see governments do exactly that. So uh, in thinking about space, uh, how would we institute uh, any kind of rules around that? Well, it's um, there are a couple ways forward with it. So I want to emphasize that currently the international law as applied to space has actually worked out quite well so far. And the the reason ultimately is uh, space is so difficult to operate in that it fosters a lot of cooperation. Um, Space agencies have for a while recognized that in order to have a sustained space exploration program, resources collected off Earth are going to be required, particularly things like water ice. Uh, And you can use the water ice for rocket propellant, for radiation shielding, and things like, um, uh, of course, life support. So uh, 
finding those resources are going to be a principal driver of um, the exploration activities on these bodies. And we're seeing that with the moon. So uh, a lot of focus is on the south polar regions, while the moon is a, a very barren uh, you know, moonscape. Uh, the craters in the south polar regions are permanently shadowed and um, uh, deposits of water over the eons of the solar system uh, have uh, allowed water ice to build in those regions. And so there's actually water ice there on the moon that can be collected. Uh, and so the real challenge from a governance perspective is to understand how we, humanity, we humanity can go to those different parts of the moon, if we choose to extract the resources and have these sustained programs, how do we do that in a way that avoids conflict? And can you extract the resources and own the resources without appropriating the moon itself or portions of the moon? When you talk about can you own the resources, I understand NASA has rules akin to open source kind of where scientists are are required to share data, findings, material from space experiments with other researchers, regardless of nationality. How how is that enforced? Well, uh, it's been pretty easy for NASA so far to enforce that because um, you you either get the contract or you don't. And, um, you know, uh, if you do not make that information available, then you're unlikely to get another contract, whether that's a grant, whether that's for some company to do a task for NASA. Uh, so the kind of the, the older model of how space exploration was done principally by uh, space agencies, you know, could really facilitate that type of approach. And that is an approach that we need to maintain for sure. But as we see companies are becoming um, the dominant actors yeah. in space, uh, that model is going to get tricky, and you're right to highlight that. And we don't necessarily have um, uh, an immediate answer for for that. And it's critical that we actually have multilateral lawmaking and an establishment of, of what is going to be expected for countries to supervise their commercial entities who are acting either on their behalf or who are authorized to act within the jurisdiction of that state. So, um, you know, SpaceX going to the moon, what information can they get that will be considered to be proprietary? And and that is not so clear. I mean, initially, um, some of that information um, will be dictated under the same type of terms that NASA currently has for contractors, but eventually they're going to be so capable going there that they could be authorized to do their own thing. And then there's the open question of, you know, how are they going to share that information? That's not worked out, but it needs to yeah. be. Yeah, that's so interesting. You mentioned companies coming into dominance for space exploration. We probably didn't even foresee that happening a few decades ago. And Elon Musk and SpaceX talk about sending humans to space when meanwhile people on Earth say, why should he or anyone else have the right just because they have the money? Yeah, so it's there's an interesting aspect, and it's actually a wonderful aspect of international law applied to, applied to space, and that is there was uh, some real forward thinking in the development of the um, treaties and the uh, other body forms of international law, customary international law, that apply to space here, and that is 
all states are free to use and explore space regardless of economic development. Uh, and so uh, a state's right to go into space does not depend on whether it currently has launch capabilities. And because you also have the other components of international law, which say you can't appropriate a portion of space, it's also saying that um, even if so, states can't rush ahead, kind of grab whatever they want uh, before other states are able to also participate. Um, and you know how this actually gets facilitated as states are going forward becomes a, a very open question whether there needs to be a benefit sharing regime, which a lot of states are reluctant to do. Um, but international law right now does have some protections for that so that even companies who are being authorized by states, because they're still ultimately authorized to go into space by states, um, they, they can't get too far ahead. Um, at least that's the hope. That's the way the, the law is currently written. So they were thinking ahead with that. You know, whether that gets thrown out through various states' practice is, is a whole other question, and that would just be a complete repeat of colonialism and something we need to try to avoid. Wow, so interesting. Space treaties, the next frontier. Dr. Aaron Boley, thank you for being with us today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, ABC Vancouver announced on Friday that ABC's Park Board will direct staff to permanently allow for the responsible consumption of alcohol in all Vancouver parks and will launch a pilot program to allow consumption of alcohol on Vancouver beaches if elected. ABC Park Board candidate Scott Jensen is here to speak with us about this. Hi, Scott. Hi, good morning. How are you this morning? Great. Welcome to the program. Thanks for being with us so early on a Sunday or Labor Weekend. It is my pleasure. Thank you for having me this morning. That's great. As you're likely aware, there was this recent extensive, very broad research and data that came out of it that showed uh, that very conclusively alcohol is bad for you, that a measly six drinks a week has poor outcomes for your health. Uh, It's linked to organ damage, to cancers, that ethanol, which is in all booze, uh, you know, damages cells and that it should be avoided. Uh, Many doctors, chemists, health professionals all want to see labeling on alcohol to reflect this latest data that's come out. However, all that being considered, you think it's high time we encourage drinking. I'm, I don't encourage drinking. What I, I do encourage is that uh, that the alcohol and parks p- pilot program that has been so successful in the Vancouver parks for the last two years uh, during this pilot proje- project, um, that we continue to allow the uh, safe uh, consumption of responsible drinking at all parks and at with adequate facilities um, throughout uh, Vancouver. Sure. Um, Sorry, you know, again, Scott. It should not be a crime for someone to enjoy a beer or wine uh, with their picnic. Yeah. So you want to make it legal to drink in public parks. I know you're saying uh, responsibly, but I do wonder that what I've just laid out there, the data that's come out around this and how it's setting off alarm bells, people want to change labeling even. I mean, I just wonder what motivates you in the face of the latest data to want to run a campaign on this. Because respectfully, Scott, it does seem like you're evading the, the data on the fact that alcohol is a known carcinogen. I'm not evading that that question. What I'm really stating is that uh, the reality is is that uh, uh, 
responsible consumption of alcohol is going to be occurring um, at our beaches um, and on our uh, at our parks. And we just believe that um, adults should be able to make those choices themselves and that uh, the um, park board staff um, have better things to do than to ticket uh, adults that are um, responsibly consuming alcohol at our parks and beaches. Scott, I wonder, did you study other cities that allow alcohol in parks before determining that we should do the same in Vancouver? Yes. And, and uh, you know, just uh, really close to us in, in Port Coquitlam, uh, they have been doing this and, and with, again, the same amount of success that we've been seeing in Vancouver. And uh, with, uh, with that success and, again, with our successes that we've seen, and, and, again, I'd like to judge Vancouver by Vancouverites. And so for the last two years, again, it has been very successful. And so we continue to believe that if this uh, is expanded, that, again, responsible consumption uh, can occur within our parks and uh, on our beaches so that, uh, again, Vancouverites can have the freedom to enjoy the natural beauty while sitting with their their family and and enjoying a glass of wine or, or enjoying a beer. So you mentioned Port Coquitlam. There, there are other cities, uh, not just here in BC, but um, in the world where uh, they're allowed to have booze in the park. Um, and some cities can do it, as you've pointed out, Port Coquitlam. I do wonder, though, do, do they have a different thing going on in Port Coquitlam than we have here in Vancouver? Like, do you believe that our population can handle it when uh, you walk around Vancouver Public Parks these days and they're littered on a good day? And people think about our festivals and our public transportation and how people face hate crimes on them. And uh, now we have these frequent stranger attacks. And people look at that and they go, ah, maybe this is not something we need to be doing in Vancouver. You bring up a lot of really great points. And again, these are great points as to why we need to have uh, Ken Sim elected mayor and we need a uh, ABC majority on city council. Um, safety in our city is a really important issue. And, and that's something that's resonating across uh, the city. As I talk to residents, I've been to pretty much over a thousand homes in the last uh, couple of weeks. And, you know, safety is a big issue that we're hearing about, but what we've seen, and again, what I'm looking at with the data that the Vancouver City has produced, is that we have not seen an increase in in any sort of civil div- disobedience over the last number of years while this program pilot program has gone on. And then the additional issue of cleanliness. Um, we wish to reallocate resources towards improving park and beach maintenance. For us, Again, overflowing garbage is not acceptable. And, and we see that when we go to the beaches, uh, when I go with my family and my dog. Um, and that, that needs to be um, corrected. Uh, whether we introduced um, alcohol or not, the garbage is, is an issue. And it needs to make sure, we need to make sure that that, that is being done on a regular basis. Um, as a volunteer with the BC Métis uh, Coastal Waters Protectors Program, which goes out and volunteers uh, cleaning up our, our parks, or not our parks, but our, our beaches. I've noticed going into our beaches just how much garbage there is. And, um, but a lot of that garbage, again, is, is waste from fast food, a lot of Starbucks uh, cups, a lot of straws, and a lot of cigarette butts. Um, I'm not seeing bottles, cans, etc. Um, so for us, again, it is about reallocating our resources to make sure that um, 
the garbage is picked up properly, that our beaches are beautiful and pristine, that you want to go there and have a picnic, that you and your family can enjoy the sunset, have a glass of wine, and, and be in one of the most beautiful parks and places in the world. I was recently at a park with my family and uh, another nearby family was meeting with another family and they were drinking. They were drinking a lot and they kept getting louder. And yeah, they actually, when they left eventually, um, they cleaned up their bottles and cans, but maybe they were too impaired to see that they forgot all the other mess that they left behind. Um, And so we cleaned it up after them and threw their trash in the garbage can, but they picked up their bottles and cans, like you're saying. They just left all this other stuff because you know what they were impaired mm-hmm. and isn't that and, a concern and, for for parks that people will just be more impaired in the park um and and i can again i i do not condone that behavior i i, I again i i love our parks i love our beaches and i believe they need, do need to be kept in a pristine manner and and you know i believe that you whatever you take into the into the park, whatever you take onto our beaches, you need to take out. And, you know, I live, uh, you know, right along the seawall and uh, walk along in the park. And there are a lot of examples of people who are getting up and leaving behind garbage. And it's, it's not acceptable. And again, uh, poor public behavior is still something that is not going to be permitted underneath uh, an NABC majority. You just don't do think that drinking has anything to, manage to do with themselves. it. Sorry. Um, no, uh, I, I, I think that people do make poor choices when they drink, but people also make cho- poor choices when they don't. And again, we are still going to be expecting people to manage themselves accordingly, as they have um, over the last two years, um, based upon the study that the city of Vancouver has, has produced. And so uh, what we are advocating for, is for the responsible consumption um, on at our parks, on our beaches. And we're still advocating for people to be responsible, to be the best that they can. And so that, uh, again, everybody can enjoy our beaches in the way that they wish to enjoy their beaches. Um, you going to a park and sitting there and enjoying the 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 natural beauty of our city, um, you should be able to do that with uh, peace and quiet. You you shouldn't have to have, you know, a lot of people taking away from your enjoyment. And if people are, you know, again, there are um, uh, ways that you can reach out and and have, you know, the the BPD come by and make sure that people's, you know, disorderly conduct is addressed. But you can do that regardless. And again, we, we see people consistently across the city, um, managing themselves accordingly. Um, and, and that, again, shows out in, in the data that has been uh, shared with us by the city of Vancouver. You know, this has been an overwhelming success for the last two years. In light of all of the challenges that the city has had over the okay. last two years, this has been an overwhelming success. And, and you know, driving that forward, you know, I, I believe that Vancouverites are ready for this. And, and okay. this is something that has been... Um, across the board, uh, received quite positively. Okay, Scott. Sorry, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much. No, that's fine. Thank you for taking the time to be with me today. I really, really appreciate this. Thanks, Scott. Bye now. 
Well, an overhaul of Canada's drinking guidelines has been proposed. A new report released by the Canadian Centre on Substance Abuse, Substance Substance Use and Addiction suggests that alcohol can still be harmful even in small quantities. The CCSA proposed new guidelines for drinking alcohol in Canada And the guidelines say Canadians should consume a maximum of two drinks, just two drinks per week. I know people who will have two drinks easily uh, in one go several times a week. Uh, Now, this is to reduce health risks. But was that report surprising to an alcohol-free liquor store? Joining us is Fiona Hefer, the CEO and Creative Director at Sensorium. Good morning, Fiona. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Please tell us about Sensorium. (laughs) So we are a non-alcoholic marketplace. We stock over 100 different products from around the world that are all premium alcohol-free beverages, wine, beer, spirits, mixers, and so on. Wow. And how long have you been around? Well, we started the idea last February um, 2021, but we launched in September. So we're actually just reaching a year now. And we've seen just incredible growth, incredible response from our community. And this report is (laughs) quite timely, I would say, and matches the numbers. So you've seen a lot of growth. I'm not surprised to hear that because it seems everyone around me is going alcohol free. Um, Mm -hmm. What are you seeing along those lines in terms of a, a social trend? Yeah, so when the when this report came out, actually, I spoke to some friends and they were um, both not surprised, but also felt a little challenged, the ones that, do, that you know, drink alcohol. Um, two drinks per week is, is very low, considering what our culture has built up around the culture and the ritual of alcohol. Um, we are seeing, though, that if you offer people really premium and craft and well-branded products, the shift is easier. And, you know, we're not asking people to um, release the, the ritual, just the alcohol and not you know, release the toxicity, but keep the indulgence. So I think companies like ours who do a really, really great job of curating product and bringing the stories to people, they still have the same or very close to experience just without, without alcohol. Yeah, so without the toxicity of alcohol. And on your website, on Sensorium's website, um, the drinks, the bottles, the marketing, the branding, all of it seems uh, indistinguishable from real alcohol. Um, so you mentioned being able to retain still the the ritual of it, just not the uh, actual toxicity of the alcohol. Mm-hmm. What is it like for, what do you hear from customers who have gone from drinking real booze to drinking these? Mm-hmm. I mean, there is a little bit of a transition time, especially if you really were really steeped in alcohol culture. There is a slight difference in taste, sometimes texture. So it really is the, the desire of the person drinking to want to move towards an alcohol-free beverage and if that's a a full shift towards the whole lifestyle um, and they'll see the benefits on the other side of that for sure but I would say some people have a tougher time than others um, but it's really the quality and the storytelling around products that brings people quickly over and we do tons of in-person tastings I mean our whole summer was filled with pop-up shops where we had lots of open bottles lots of chance to taste things and once you get behind a story, it's really easy to follow it. Do you drink alcohol? I don't anymore. 
I don't. I, I didn't have a problematic relationship with alcohol, but I didn't love the way it made me feel. I didn't love the way it made me feel the next day. <laughs> and I certainly enjoy myself more without it. Yeah. And increasingly, I'm hearing from a lot of more from a lot of people in my community who are younger than me, older than me, that since Mm -hmm. uh, learning more about what ethanol does to the body just for health reasons alone, Mm -hmm. strictly on health, uh, they're finishing with alcohol. Do you think that in general, we're, we're going to see a major shift in society going that way of viewing alcohol differently? Yeah, I mean, the, the numbers speak for themselves globally. Uh, 40% of global consumers are, have purchased an alcoholic beverage, um, a premium one too. So I don't see that slowing down and, and neither do the reports. But even in our own community, we have a really high customer return rate. So that, that tells me that it's happening. We're also in this kind of this age of, of awareness, this age of enlightenment, if you, if you speak. And it's like people are just going to want to move towards more health and well-being. I just don't see us wanting to go in the direction of lesser health and well-being. And where do you see most of your ship- shipments going out to? So, of course, a big part of our business is here in Vancouver, but we ship across Canada. So the next big concentration of orders is coming out of Toronto um, and, and other parts of Ontario. We see a ton of orders going on to the island. Uh, into, into Victoria and into Kelowna. Uh, so we're the, the numbers are coming up across the country, but those are kind of our concentrations right now. I noticed that in the marketing, subtle as it is, there's this not this message that alcohol is bad for you. Instead, it's mm-hmm. pointing out how these non-alcoholic beverages are better for you. Mm-hmm. Is that intentional? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Big Alcohol did a really great job of branding the whole experience. They've made it really romantic and celebratory and joyous. They don't show any of the toxicity of alcohol, you know, and that's on purpose. What I wanted to do was show that the experience can be seamless, that you can have as much indulgence, as much joy and romanticism about the non-alcoholic side of of drinking as you do on the alcoholic side so that it feels like an easy transition for people so that it doesn't feel like this big um, gap or that there's a lack of something or that you're losing something. It's actually, I think you're gaining more. And, and a lot of people who stop drinking alcohol, be it uh, temporarily or with the intention of it being permanent, do speak about the, the social buzz of just being with other people who are drinking something, whatever it is, and mm-hmm. clinking glasses and that mm-hmm. they feel, I've heard people say that they feel that buzz just from having a glass of water, but clinking glasses with people. <laughs> so there's maybe perhaps something more to be understood about socially what's happening there too. Yeah, I mean, the placebo effect is real and has been studied and tested for a long time. So if you're talking about non-alcoholic beer and wine, if you've had the experience of feeling the relaxation from beer or the kind of um, the loosening up from wine and you drink a non-alcoholic version, the body already knows. The body knows what that feels like and it's going to go into that place naturally. So I I feel it myself. (laughs) I know many people that say the same thing. And then there's what you're talking about, which is kind of like that contact experience um, where just the energy of the room is, is shifting how someone's, how someone's feeling. So I think, I think both are happening. That's very interesting stuff. Fiona, thanks for explaining it all to us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. 
Thanks for listening to the Weekend Mornings with Raji Sohal podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And you can listen to the show live on 980 CKNW from 6 to 9 a.m. every Sunday. Have a great week.